All right, so Hebrews chapter 1. Um, we have started in the book of Hebrews, actually, um, last Sunday. And uh, let me just recap what we talked about, and then we're going to move on to um, this week. We say that the book of Hebrews is written to who? Let's see who remembers. Because if you guys don't remember, I'll go back <laughs> to the Hebrews, right? It was written to uh, Jewish people who, be, who became Christian, and then they were thinking about going back to Judaism. So the author of Hebrews, whom I said last week, I don't think it's Paul, wrote the letter of Hebrews uh, to show them the superiority of Christ and the superiority of the Christian faith, and then he uh, started encouraging them not to go back. And uh, there's five different warnings. We talked about that last week throughout the book of Hebrews of abandoning the faith. Um, we say that the, the most common word in the book of Hebrews or, um, is the word better or the word superior, right? Because that's the whole point. Ten, almost 11, 10 chapters in the whole book just emphasizing that point, how Christ is superior than the Old Testament, how um, New Testament is superior than the Old Testament. And we say that the first four verses in Hebrews 1 emphasize the point that Jesus is superior than the prophets. Right. Good, good. Two people. That's good. Um, we say that verse 1 to verse 4, the author of Hebrews is arguing that Jesus is superior than the prophets. And in emphasizing that, he has two main points in these first two verses. You guys remember that? Verse 1 and the first part of verse 2, he's saying that there is a superior message, that the message in the New Testament is superior than that of the Old Testament. And then from the second part of verse 2 all the way to end verse 4, it is a superior messenger, right? That Jesus, as a, as a person, he is the Son of God who is far more superior than the prophets of the Old Testament. So you guys follow me so far? We, we're still talking about the point number one, superior message, right? Uh, that's verse one and the very first part of verse two. Let's, uh, if you remember, let's quote verse one and that verse part of verse two. Let's see who remembers. It says this, God who in times past in various ways have spoken to our forefathers through the prophets has in these last days spoken to us in son, in his son, in the one who is his son, right? And if you remember from last week, we talked about three differences between the way God spoke with the prophets versus the way God spoke through the son. You guys follow me so far? I'm just reminding us so we can launch into this week. There's three, different, three differences. Number one, in the Old Testament, God spoke in times past. It's an old way that God doesn't do anymore. But in, in the New Testament, God spoke in these last days, the days of the fulfillment of all the promises of God. Amen? So past versus last days. Number two, it was various ways, but there is one way in the New Testament, which is the Son. And number three, there was prophets, many prophets in the Old Testament, but there is only one who is Son in the New Testament through whom God has spoken. Amen? Amen? That was last week. Now let's go into this week. We're going to stop this week and next week into that first part of verse 2. God spoke to us in the Son, in His Son, in the one who is Son. We're going to stop at that phrase because it's just so deep and so good. We're going to talk about it this week, and we're going to talk about it next week. Amen? Amen. 
this week we're going to talk about the how, i.e., what I'm going to talk about this week is how is the son, the son is the revealer of the father. And we're going to discuss that because here it says that God spoke to us in his son, right? The son is the one who reveals God to us. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. So we're going to talk about that today. What does that mean even more? Expand on that and break that down a little bit more. Next week, we're going to talk about the what. What did God say to us in the son? Okay, so today is the, the how. The son is the revealer of the father. Next week, next week is the what. What did God say in his son? Clear like mud? Okay, let's move forward. Now, we're going to talk about today, God speaking to us in the Son. How is it that the Son of God is the revealer of the Father? That's pretty much the point that the author of Hebrews was telling us in this phrase, that God revealed himself to us in Jesus, in the one who is his Son, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not really uh, like a unique teaching to the author of Hebrews. It is not really strange that we see that throughout the New Testament that the Son of God is the revealer of the Father. Amen? I try to like think and cross-reference and stuff like that. There's at least seven references in the New Testament that we can see that tells us pretty much the same point. The Son is the revealer of the Father. There's probably more. There's only, that's only the ones that I, I could think of, but there's probably more scripture that teach the same thing. Even though there's seven that I have notes here for, I'm going to discuss only the first three, because that's, that's where the bulk of the stuff is. You can read the rest of the four just to, um, for the sake of our time, so I don't go for, for a long time. Amen? So we're going to only emphasize three scriptures, but there is more, obviously. Um, the, the three references that we're going to discuss today is John 1.1, 1, 1, and then John 1.18, and then we're going to go to Matthew 11, verse 25 to 28. That's the three other references that pretty much tell us the same point that the author of Hebrews was trying to tell us, that the Son is the revealer of the Father. Buckle up, the Word of God going to blow your mind away. Amen? All right, John 1, 1 to 2. Same principle. This is what John said. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, who is that Word that John is talking about here? It's Jesus. How do we know it's Jesus? Because in John 1.14, later in the chapter, he said, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. We have seen his glory as the one and only one of the Father. So who became flesh? We know that the one who became flesh is the Son, Jesus. Amen? So from John 1.14, we know that when John said in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, he's talking about Jesus. And how, what is the title that John used here to describe Christ, the Son? He is the word. Amen? And that title is exclusively to John. The only one throughout the scripture who called Jesus the word was John. Four times, all in all, throughout the New Testament, John referenced or referred to Jesus with his title, the word. We read it here in John 1.1, John 1.14, and the word became flesh. First John 1.1, that's the letter that he wrote later, and he said this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hand have handled of the, what? Word. 
and now it's not the word of God only, it's also the word of life. And Revelation 19.13, that's also a book John wrote, he said, and he was clothed, talking about Jesus, the son, with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called what? The Word of God. So the title, the Word of God, to, uh, applicable to Christ, only used by John throughout the scripture. Now, notice that John called Jesus the Word, right? What John is trying to tell us this, Jesus was not just the messenger who came from God to us. Jesus also was the word, the actual message that God wanted to tell us. You guys follow me? Jesus is a messenger from God, no question about it. But beyond that, he's also the messenger. Remember in the Old Testament, so many times we, we read, and the word of God came to Jonah, the word of God came to Isaiah, the word of God came to Ezekiel. The word of God came to this person, to that person, to that prophet. In the New Testament, the word of God came down himself, and he was Jesus. Amen? And John elaborated that to us in the first John 1 John 1.1, that third verse we just read. Look at this. That which, we, uh, that, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Imagine if John did not say anything in the middle, and then he jumped right away to the word of life, Right? So imagine this part is missing in the middle, and the verse will read like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard of the word of life. If the word was like that, then obviously John here is referring to an actual information, right? A message that we heard, right? Because you only hear a word. You don't see a word. Have anybody seen a word before? No. Have anybody handled with their hands, touched a word? You cannot do that, right? But John in 1 John 1, 1 said that this word not only heard like any other word, but it also can be seen. It also can be touched, right? It, what John is saying here is that, that the word is not just information that was conveyed to us. The word is the person that was sent to us, and that is Jesus himself. Amen? Amen. You guys follow? So the word here over and over in John's idea that Jesus himself is the message that God has sent to us. Amen? Not just the messenger, but also the message. Now, what does it mean when we say that Jesus is the word. I heard one pastor in Egypt um, talking about this one time, and he was very good. So I just, uh, this is what I remembered from him. So here is what he said, that the, the word, why would Jesus call the word? What is the logic behind that? Number one, the word reveal who the speaker is, right? Like, if you're in front of me and you're quiet, I would have no idea who you are, right? Till you start talking. And when you start talking and I start hearing the word that comes out of your mouth, then I'll start figuring out who you are. I will know, for example, if you're a born-again Christian or you're anti-Christian, right? I will know if you're uh, for Trump or against Trump. I will know a lot about you once you start talking because the word reveals everything about you, right? It reveals your thoughts. It reveals your heart. It reveals your personality. If you're passionate, if you're introverted, if you're not passionate, if you're extroverted, whoever you are, your personality, your thoughts, everything about you can be revealed in your word. When you speak, everything about you is being revealed. Amen? And that's precisely why John called Jesus the word. That's why Jesus is God's word because in Jesus we know everything about God. He's the word that reveals who God is. His thought, 
his heart, his person, his being, his will, everything you ever want to know about God, you'll know it from the word of God, which is the Lord, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In Jesus, God revealed everything to us about him. Everything you ever need to know about God. The only way you can ever know anything about God is through the word that he has uttered. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. But number two, the word also carries the authority of that speaker. Right? If you're at work and you're in trouble, you don't know what to do. If you, wanna, if you have a problem and you're not sure how to solve it, you can ask your co-worker how to solve that problem, but the word they're going to give you is merely suggestive. It's just an idea that you might consider or not, right? And if it's wrong and the, the problem explodes and you go to your boss and say, hey, my friend told me this, do you think the, the boss will cut you a slack for that? No, you're still responsible, right? Even though your friend had a suggestion that seems good at the time, yet his words to you is purely suggestive, right? Now, if you go to your boss and say, hey, I have this problem. I don't know how to solve it. And he say, do this. And then the problem explodes. Then guess what? You're safe, right? Because you followed the word of your boss and it says, do this. You did it. And it just, yeah, what else are you going to do, right? What I'm trying to say is this. The word of the person carried the authority of the person. You guys follow me? Yeah. The, your friend's word can be sub suggestive, but your boss's word is directive. And that's precisely Jesus was called the word of God because Jesus carried the very authority of God. Amen? Every power, every authority, every function God can ever do or has is carried to us in his son, Jesus. Amen? That's why Jesus is God's word. He's the one who revealed God. He's the one who carries every authority God the Father ever has. Amen? You guys follow me? Yeah. Now, let's go move on and dig deeper into that verse. <clears throat> so, let's say I want to um, convey a message to you guys, okay? Uh, let's say I want to... Um, all right, I want to tell you that I'm not going to be here this, this coming Sunday or something to that effect. I want to send you guys a message and I'm not going to be present to tell it to you myself. Let's say I can send Barb to tell you that message, right? I'm going to keep picking on Barb. Mm -hmm. So Barb comes to you and she knows me a little bit, right? It has been three years. I've been pinning her neck for three years now. But anyways, she knows me a little bit and she can come and convey the information that I want to deliver to you. And because she knows my personality and my thought process, she probably has some advantages in conveying the message, right? Now imagine that I'm going to send Katrina to tell you that. Now Katrina is my wife. She's been living with me for six months, being pain in her neck too. But anyways, she comes here. Now, because Katrina is a whole lot closer to me, she knows exactly who I am, a whole lot more than Barb, just by the mere fact that she's my wife. And she knows exactly how I think, how precisely I want things to be done who do you think can be a more effective messenger in conveying not just the information, but even my tone and my passion when I'm trying to deliver that message to you? It will be my wife, right? Just by the mere fact that she knows me more, right? What I'm trying to say is this. The closer the messenger to the one who has the message, the more accurate the message will be delivered, right? Even if it's beyond just the information, the tone, the passion of the one who has the message can all be conveyed a whole lot more accurate when the messenger is a whole lot closer to the one who has the message. You guys follow me? So let's look in John 1.1. 1, 1. How close really is that word to God? 
Well, let's look into it. Number one, he has been with God for all eternity. John 1, 1, in the beginning, not the word was created. In the beginning, the word was self-existing with the Father. Amen? Again, think about this. The more time you spend with me, the more time you'll be a more effective messenger in conveying my communicating my message, right? Katrina, if she spends six years with me, she'll know me a whole lot more than Barb, who spent three years being my friend here at the church. Now imagine not years, not 10 years, or 1,000, or 2,000, or million, or 2 million. We're talking about the Son being alongside the Father from all eternity. We cannot even fathom how long that is. Amen? That tells you that when the son speaks, he really, really, really knows exactly what the father want to tell us, right? He's self-existing alongside God from all eternity. But number two, he is intimate with God. The Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word what? Was with God. That is more like, the Greek here has the idea of more intimacy. Somebody who's close to God. We've seen that word mentioned a couple of other times. It means in the presence of, in fellowship of. He's communicating, he's talking, he's alongside God. He's not like, yes, it has been so long and they're far away from each other. He is always on God's side with him for all that eternity. Amen? And not only that, he's not self-existing, eternal with God. He's not just alongside God for all eternity, but he himself was God in his nature. And the word was God. Everything that God is, Jesus also is. Now, apply that to Jesus being the messenger. How effective, how effective of a messenger Jesus will be, right? There is nobody else who can ever describe or be a good messenger from God to us than Jesus himself, who is equally God, just like the Father in his nature. Amen? Amen. That's good. Amen? So Jesus is the revealer. The Son is the revealer. This is what John 1.1 also was trying to tell us. But John even elaborated more on that in John 1.18. And here is what he said. <clears throat> no one has seen God at any time. But the one and the unique God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. That's John 1.18. Now, again here, John is telling us three reasons why Jesus could ever be the best revealer of the Father. Number one, and that's pretty like, that should be exclusive in itself. No one has ever seen the Father at any time. Amen? Amen? I mean, it's not explicit, but it's implied. Nobody has seen the Father. The one and only Son who's in his bosom has revealed him. That means what is implied is the only one who actually have seen the Father was the Son, right? It's not explicit, but it's definitely implied. So can Jesus be the best revealer about who God is? I think that statement in itself is pretty conclusive. Is no, if nobody at any time has ever, never, ever seen the Father, then we really don't have the slightest clue on who God is. Amen? The only one who has seen him is the Son. Amen? And since Jesus is the only one who actually has a clue on who God is, I don't think of a better person who can reveal God to us, the Father to us, than Jesus. Can I have an amen? Amen. So, well, if nobody has ever, ever seen God the Father at any time, so who is that God who has been popping up in the Old Testament every now and then? Amen. When the Bible tells us that 
that no one has ever seen the Father. That means that the God who came chasing after Adam and Eve in, jo in, in Genesis chapter 3, who himself is God and was looking to talk and communicate with them, that was not the Father, right? Because no one has ever seen the Father, right? That includes Adam and Eve. So who is that God who's talking to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3? He is Jesus, that's the Son of God, who's equally God, who's the only connection between God and man. Amen? No one has seen God. Well, how about Abraham in Genesis chapter 18? The Bible tells us point blank, and the Lord Jehovah appeared to Abraham in John 18, 1, in Genesis 18, 1. Well, if no one has seen God, the Father, then who is that Lord who's sitting down talking to Abraham? whom Abraham later on was debating with him about Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham called him the judge of the whole earth. Who is that God if no one has ever seen God? That is Jesus. He's the only connection between God and man. That's the son. How about the God who wrestled with Jacob for all night long in Genesis chapter 32? And, and Jacob, and Jacob at the end of that wrestling, he knew that he was wrestling with God himself, that he called the place Peniel, the face of God, because he said, I have seen God face to face. Who is that God who has been wrestling with Jacob all night long? Remember, no one has ever seen the father, right? So who is that person that Jacob seen and wrestled with all night long? He is the one mediator between God and man. That is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amen. How about Moses? Who is that God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush? And he introduced himself to Moses saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who is that God? If nobody has ever seen God, it has to be Jesus, the divine son of the living God, who is equally God. Amen? How about Manoah, the father of Samson, who got so scared and he said, we're going to die because we have seen God who came down in a human format. And that was also Jesus. How about Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he said, when Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his, of his garment was filling the whole temple and angels could not behold his glory. They would cover their eyes and one will call to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Who is that? If nobody has ever seen God, that is Jesus, that is the divine son of the living God who is equally God. Amen? You follow me? Even though it's true what the author of Hebrews, what he said is correct. God in these last days, in these last days, our time right now, spoke to us in the Son. But the fact of the matter is the Son is the revealer of the Father from all eternity to all eternity. Amen? No one has ever seen the Father at any time. Not Adam, not Abraham, not Jacob, not Isaiah, not Manoah. No one has ever seen the Father at any time. Every single time. God reveals himself to the human race. He reveals himself in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? No one has ever seen God at any time. And that's a good reason why Jesus can be only revealer of God. But not only that. Jesus did not just see the Father. He is in his bosom. That's what John said in John 1.18. The one and only son, God, who is in the bosom of the Father. Now, I don't know about you. I just don't think 
in human terms, you can't get any closer to somebody than being in their bosom, okay? After that, you can't get any closer, <laughs> right? As to be in somebody's bosom, that's as close as you can ever, as close and as intimate you can ever be with anyone, amen? And maybe that's what John was referring to in John 1.1 when he said the word was with God. He is in the Father's bosom. He is the closest possible thing that can ever be to God. He cannot get any closer than that. Amen? So he is not just seen. Nobody's seen God except Jesus. Number two, Jesus is the closest being to the Father. But number three... Jesus is equally God in his nature. It says that the one and only God who is in the bosom of the Father. And that's such a hard verse. But the, actually the, most, the oldest and most accurate manuscripts of the Bible has the word God, not the word Son. It seems like it was so hard that one of the scribes later on said, this doesn't make any sense. It may be it should be Son instead of God. In Greek, the word God and son here just has one letter difference. So maybe a scribe decided that this is too hard and he just made what he thought was a mistake correcting that mistake. You guys follow me? But the, the actual Greek says that Jesus is God in his nature. He's the equal God. Everything that God is, Jesus is. He is the exact same nature like the Father. Amen? Every time you talk to Jehovah's Witness, they say, the original Greeks say this. The, man, the oldest manuscripts say that. Well, take them to John 1.18. The oldest manuscript, the most accurate manuscripts say that he is God, not just the Son. Amen? Jesus is the revealer of the Father. Why? Number one, nobody has seen God, so we must take Jesus' word for it because we don't have any other option, right? Number two, Jesus is as close as possible he can ever be or anybody can ever be to God. Number three, Jesus is equal to the Father in his nature. And what does John tell us here? That he has explained God to us. Amen? Now, the Greek word that John used here is the word exgenomai. I think, I'm not sure about this, but that's where we get the English word exegesis, which when you take a scripture and you keep breaking it down and analyze it and try to understand exactly what it means, it's called biblical exegesis. And I believe that this is what, I, I'm not sure, but I think that this is where this word coming from. It's coming from exegenomai, and that's, I believe, what really is the intention of John, that Jesus, like, kept on breaking down the information and telling us every minute detail about who God is. He explained him to the minutest and the finest detail that he can ever do. Amen? This is what I believe is in John's mind. It also can mean to, to rehearse, to go back and call out in details. We see that word used in Luke 24, 35, 35 when, when Jesus met the two disciples going to uh, Emmaus, and then he opened their eyes to know who he is, and then the two disciples went back to the rest of the disciples, and they're rehearsing now, they're recalling the events and how Jesus encountered them, and how Jesus opened their eyes. And we read this, Luke 24, 35, then the two told, that's the exact Greek word ex genomai, what has happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them at the breaking of the bread. 
The idea here is these two disciples went back and called out and recalled and rehearsed every single minute detail of their encounter with Christ, how everything happened to that T. And they explained that to the disciples. That's exactly what John is telling us here about Jesus. Jesus, who's eternally with God, he came down to us, who's equal with God in his nature, who only knows God because he's so close to him. He came down to us and he rehearsed everything that he has ever seen, everything he has ever heard, everything he has ever known. He just explained it to us, to the very fine and minute details. There is nothing about God that Jesus has kept from us. Amen? He has explained him. Amen? You guys see when the author of Hebrews say God spoke to us in the Son, in His Son. This is true throughout the scripture. Jesus is the only revealer of the Father. Amen? Nobody knows the Father like Jesus. Nobody's equal to the Father like the Son. And He came down and He explained Him. God spoke to us in His Son. Amen? Let's just close with that. Crazy scripture. In Matthew 11, 28, 25 to 28. Let's read it together. Or I can read it for us. Now, that is in Matthew, not even in John. And here is what Matthew said. At this time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to the little ones. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Verse 27, this is the, the, the verse we're going to talk about. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him, and those to whom the Son chooses to do what? reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened and laden, and I will give you rest. Now, right before that passage, till the end of verse 24, we see that, that a lot of people did not believe in Jesus. And Jesus, up till the end of verse 24, is just pronouncing curses. He's like, woe to you, Corzine, because you did not believe. Woe to you, woe to you, because you heard my message and you rejected my voice. Rejected what I'm telling you. And then in verse 25 and 26, Jesus went into prayer and thanksgiving to God. That even though this has been hidden from those who are learned and wise, it has been revealed to those who are simple and little. Amen? And then Jesus said, you know, um, you have, this is what is pleasing to you, Lord God, the Father, to, to reveal this to the little ones. And then verse 27, all the way till the end of the chapter, now Jesus went back to continue his teaching or his comments on what has been happening. And he's talking now and he said, talking to his disciples and said, all things committed to me. Nobody knows the Father except the Son, etc. till the end of verse 30. So let's just break down verse 27 a little bit because it's, it's a very uh, hard verse and very strange and amazing verse in the Bible. Jesus said, all things has committed to me. Now, this is not such a strange claim that Jesus made about himself. We, he said it again in Matthew 28, right after the resurrection. He said, all authority is been given to me. And then he said, go ye therefore and make disciples. He said that as well in John a couple of times that he says that, you know, um, the father trusts the son and the son does everything that the father, the father wants him to do. It seems like, I, I, it, it makes sense, but I'm not 100% sure, that when 
when Jesus said here, all things has committed to me, he might be specifically references about uh, the ability of revealing who the Father is. Because that's really the context. The whole thing, verse 25 all the way to verse 27, the problem here is whom God is revealing what to who, right? So he said God is hitting that from, um, before he said that, Jesus, he said God has hidden that from the wise but revealed it to the little. And after he said that, he said that the son reveals the father to whoever he wills. It seems like when Jesus said all things have been committed to me that he's narrowing down, zeroing in on the ability of revealing the Father and um, for people to understand who God is. I think it's true. I'm not 100% sure, but this is what that text can probably mean. It says, all things has been committed to me. And then he said, by my Father, no one knows the Son. And Jesus here actually in Greek has the definition word, the Son. It is very unique. Actually, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we don't see the words that, that son, except twice. Here and in Mark, in Mark 10, I believe, Mark 13, 32. When Mark said, uh, when Jesus said in Mark, nobody knows that hour, not the angels, not the son, except the father. That's the only two times that we see that son in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. It's repeated multiple times in John. So the idea here when Jesus saying the son is talking about himself being the son of God. The son that Matthew has referenced to multiple other times. In, in Matthew 17 when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, the father appeared from heaven and he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That is the reference here to the son. Jesus is saying, it's, I am that son whom the father was pleased on in Matthew 17. And then it says, um, uh, when, when Peter called Jesus, when Jesus asked who I am, Peter said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. So the word the son here, it is not vague. It is not about anybody can take that place. It is extremely unique to who Jesus is being the unique son of God that nobody else had that title with him. Amen. So Jesus said, all things have been committed to me by my father and nobody knows the son except the father and nobody knows the father except the son. Now, this phrase is absolutely crazy that Jesus can ever say that. This is just mind blowing. The word know here is actually emphasized in Greek. So it's kind of like intensive. The idea here is to know exactly, to know completely, to know through and through. It is not to have knowledge of, it is to know every single minute detail. And Jesus is saying, the Father knows every, only God, the Father knows every single minute detail about me. And only I know every single minute detail about the Father. You guys follow me? Now imagine yourself being a person sitting in front of a teacher that you suppose is a good man coming from God and he makes that craziest claim that only him and God knows each other very well. Nobody else can ever do that. Amen? Now look at me. When Jesus here, Jesus here is claiming a mutual, exclusive, reciprocal, and equivalent knowledge with the Father. This is insane. Look at this. Jesus here is claiming a mutual, exclusive, reciprocal, and equivalent knowledge of with the Father. You guys follow me? This is 
the highest claim of equality with God a human being can ever utter. There is nobody else. It doesn't matter how great of a created being Jesus can be. He cannot make that statement unless he is equal with the Father. He created like creator like him, just like him in every single aspect and every single matter. Amen? By saying this claim, Jesus is setting himself up to be either the most deceptive, manipulative liar who ever walked on the face of this planet, or he's setting himself to be God in flesh. Amen? He can't be anything in between. He's either lying and he should not be followed, or he is God in flesh that should be worshipped. Amen? Amen? And you have to make up your mind. You cannot look at Jesus and say, oh, he's a good teacher. You ask people in the world who Jesus is. He's a great teacher. He taught a lot of good things. Jesus can never be a mere good teacher. Amen? He made the craziest claim about himself being equal with the Father. If Jesus is not equal with the fire, then he's the most deceptive liar ever walked on the face of this planet. Amen? But he is God in flesh. And then he said, now... Based on that exclusive, mutual, equivalent, reciprocal knowledge with God, now Jesus is able to reveal the Father to us. He's saying, I know God so well. God knows me so well. We're so entwined with one another. And that's part of the reason he's qualified to be the revealer of the Father. Amen? And that he and the Son reveals him to whom the Son chooses to reveal. So let's, let's look into that verse. How many people actually um, know the Son from that verse? It's only the Father, right? And how many people know the Father in that verse? The Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father to. Amen? Amen? Now, let's look at Jesus' prayer in verse 26. Because in that phrase, and those whom the Son have chosen to reveal Him... Jesus is drawing a parallel to what he just said in verse 26. In verse 26 says that God hid this from the wise, but he chose to reveal it to the little one, right? So if you go back, whose will is it to reveal it to the little one? It is the Father's will, right? As a matter of fact, Jesus said blank, point blank, it pleased you, God, to do it this way, to reveal it to the little one, right? Now in verse 27, that end of that, the end of that verse, who is the one who chooses to reveal it to certain people? It is the son. You guys follow me? Jesus is not shy about this crazy claim he just made. He's continuing to emphasizing his equality with God. He said the father chooses to reveal it. Well, I choose to reveal it too. Amen? Amen? So, and also he emphasizes the well. In previously he said it's God's will. Now he's saying it's my well, right? Putting himself equal with the father. Amen? Jesus knows the Father so much so that he can, he, he only, he's the only one who can ever be the one who reveals the Father to us. He's just him in a different format, right? He's equal to God in every single way. He's God in his nature in every single way that he revealed himself, that he can only be the only one who reveals him to us. Amen? Yeah. Let's just close with that thought. And those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That sounds to me like Jesus pick and choose, doesn't it? Well, it says that. And to those whom the Son chooses to reveal. It seems to me like 
Jesus is picking and choosing some people and saying, oh, this is the one I'm going to choose to reveal the Father to, and this I choose not to, right? But that's barely the point. That's not at all what Jesus was telling us. Who are this unique, highly, highly uh, uh, favored group of people that Jesus chooses to reveal the Father to? We don't have to guess about it because Jesus told us right after that, who is that group of people? What does Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says? Come to me, all you who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You guys follow me? What Jesus is saying is this. I'm choosing to reveal it, but you have to come to me. Everybody is invited, and I am willing to reveal the Father to every single person that is, that is heavy burdened and laden, and I will give them rest, and the Father will be revealed to them, to every single soul. Jesus doesn't pick and choose. You're the one who get to pick and choose if you want the Father to be revealed to you or not, right? Yeah. Amen? The invitation is for all, but only those who come, will, 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 the Father will be revealed to them because Jesus will reveal the Father to them. Amen? Amen? Every time I go out and witness, and sometimes I ask people, this is it, we're closing. I ask people, hey, you think you're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell? A lot of people say, well, it's up to God. And I tell them, no, it's not up to God. It's up to you. God has provided the salvation to every single soul. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For who? For the whole world. And then it says that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have an everlasting life. Amen? It's God's will that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. The question if is not if God wants you to have eternal life. The question is are you willing to come? Are you willing to believe? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to take advantage of what God has already done for you in Jesus? Amen? Amen. Jesus, God has spoken to us in his Son. Amen? There is nobody who can reveal God except the Son of God. Amen? Let's close our eyes and pray.